I love the video game genre because those pieces are written to kind of tell what's happening at that at each point in a video game. And so you're kind of in the character's shoes and you're, you know, going on an adventure, you're seeing what the character sees. And that's what I tried to do in the Let's Quest series. So I tried to write really descriptive pieces that students could put themselves in a character as they played the piece and they could imagine what was happening in the music. Um, so, and that's, I think, probably my favorite type of music to write. I love writing music that tells a story. Hi, I'm Ben Capolo, and welcome to All Keyed Up, Creative Conversations for Today's Piano Teachers. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I will be speaking with Chrissy Ricker. Chrissy Ricker is a pianist, teacher, and composer from North Carolina. A nationally certified teacher of music, Chrissy holds a master's degree in piano performance and pedagogy and has been teaching piano for 23 years to students of all ages and skill levels. Chrissy's articles on piano teaching have appeared in American Music Teacher Magazine, and she has been a frequent clinician for teacher groups, presenting on a variety of topics related to teaching and composing. Chrissy specializes in creating engaging original music and arrangements for musicians of all ages and skill levels. To date, she has published over 30 collections of piano solo and duet music for students. Her piano music is featured regularly on the contest lists of teaching associations across the United States and Canada, including the National Federation of Music Clubs. A prolific arranger, Chrissy has also arranged hundreds of pop, classical, video game, and anime titles for pianists at all levels. She is a signature artist for the digital music retailer Music Notes. Chrissy, thanks so much for joining today. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. Today, I'd like to talk about the three hats you wear, teaching, composing, and arranging. First, teaching. As a teacher, I've loved browsing your website since it's full of lots of great resources. Can you give our listeners a basic sense of what sorts of resources you've created for other piano teachers and how our listeners can gain access to these resources? Yes, um, I've really just been creating little worksheets and activities for my own students. Um, I've got composition activities um, from, you know, very introductory improv things up to composition on the staff. Um, I've got arrangements of classical pieces at the early levels, um, theory worksheets, you know, drawing intervals on the staff. So just a, a variety of things I've created and used with my own students. And I have those all in a section of my website, chrissyricker.com, um, called the free stuff section. And I really hope that teachers will check it out and use it because I know when I was starting out, I found so many great resources on the web that other teachers were so generous enough to share. And so I hope this is my way of giving back and kind of paying that forward a little bit. Yes, I want to talk about a few of these free resources that I've used in my own studio that I really liked and hone in on some uh, to give our listeners a specific sense of what types of things you offer. So one thing that you had on your website is a video series that you call Two Minute Teaching Tips, and you discuss a variety variety of topics. One that really stuck out to me and that I now use all the time is you had this really helpful video that discussed teaching 16th notes. Can you tell our listeners about your the philosophy that you described in that video? Yes. So I find that 16th notes are often really tricky for my students to understand. And the way I grew up being taught to count 16th notes, which I'm sure a lot of other teachers were taught this as well, is 1e-enda, 2e-enda, 3e-enda. And I think a lot of students find that really confusing. It's just so many syllables. Um, a lot of students don't quite understand yet how to subdivide the beat. 
Um, you know, maybe they haven't learned fractions yet in school. And so what I have found really effective when I introduce 16th notes to my students for the first time is to use words. And so I use rhythm words, and I actually switch them up. I've used a variety of different words, um, but some good ones are like for a group of four sixteenths, I use the word watermelon. Uh, Huckleberry is another one. Um, you know, two sixteenths followed by an eighth, I use the word pine, um, popsicle. And then an eighth followed by two sixteenths, pineapple, um, for example. And so what I show my students is that sixteenth notes usually come in just a few patterns. Um, if you just learn what these patterns sound like, you'll be prepared for the majority of 16th notes you'll encounter in a piece of music. And so we get comfortable with what the patterns sound like, with how to chant the rhythms, how to clap the rhythms, and then later on we circle back to understanding how to count them metrically. Yes, this is something I use in my studio with an adult student who I had been going weeks with him on 16th notes and was teaching it, unfortunately, in the way you described earlier about one eanda, two eanda, and it was just not clicking. And then when I watched that video, I tried I did blueberry, um, I did a, a selection of fruits, and then instantly he was able to figure out these 16th note patterns that had been confusing him for weeks. And this is an adult student, so I strongly advocate for that way of teaching. Um, another thing that jumped out to me on your website as far as free resources is, as you mentioned earlier, you offer a lot as far as teaching composition. Many students are scared to try to write their own music for the same reason that they're scared of improvising, that they're overwhelmed by the really large number of choices they have. You solve this problem in your composition worksheets and exercises by making some of the decisions for the students, and sometimes you include fun ways for the students to make compositional choices, such as a rolling dice. Can you talk about your philosophy with regard to teaching composition and what resources you offer in this department? Yes. Um, you know, I've always grown up enjoying, enjoying composition. It was something I always thought was really fun. And so when I started teaching, I really wanted to incorporate composition early on with my students. And what I found is, just like you said, a lot of students are afraid to compose and improvise. They're afraid of making a mistake. Um, they're afraid because they don't know what to do. They don't want to make something that sounds bad. And so I've tried to really make it as easy and comfortable as possible with some of the resources I've created for my students. Um, and I think just giving students uh, a limited number of choices at first is really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, I try to give them some very set parameters. Like for example, um, we might do an improv activity where I tell them, you're going to use just the black keys and you're only going to play quarter notes and I'm going to play along with you and it's going to be a duet. And so that just increases their comfort level. And just by doing a series of, of these kinds of activities, it builds students comfort to the point that they're able to do more complex um, compositions on their own. But yes, I have, um, I love the one with the dice that you mentioned. You know, that's a really foolproof one for any student because all they have to do is roll the dice and whatever number comes up, that's the measure that they write on the staff for their composition. And I've actually done that with different students and it's amazing how they can all come up with something completely different mm -hmm. because you know they're rolling the dice and the measures are different. And then at the bottom of the page, I have a little series of things we'll try um, playing the right hand up an octave or try transposing this to C minor instead of C major or mm. you know try uh, adding your own little coda using the notes from the C major chord and so it's just a way to kind of get students comfortable with the process and then then give them a few ideas for how they can make it their own. Okay, now that we're on to composition I would like to talk a little bit about your work as a composer. Um, just out of curiosity when you were 
uh, learning to compose. Did you have a teacher who did these sorts of activities with you that you're describing or did you no. come up with those on your own? Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, when I was growing up, you know, I always composed on my own, but really the only things we did in my lessons were the things that were in my theory book. So I did, you know, mm. question and answer phrases and that kind of, you know, theory work, but never did any formal composition or um, anything like that until I got to college. So hmm. So yeah, it was it was something I always thought was really fun, but I really didn't know you could do that in piano lessons. <laughs> and so that's why I've, I've really tried to incorporate it now with my students as much as I can because I want them to see, you know, that creative side of not just playing what's on the page, but coming up with your own ideas too. Yeah, I'm always interested. I had a lot of guests on this podcast so far who part of what they do is trying to fill in gaps of what they wish they had had growing up. I always find stories like that to be really inspiring. Um, okay, I do want to talk a little bit about your work as a composer. You've written many books that cover a wide span, uh, many of which I've used in my studio and really love, particularly the Piano Patterns series. Um, can you give us a bird's eye view as to the main series you offer, how they're published, and a general sense of what books you offer for any teachers who might want to consider using them in their own studios? Sure. Um, so yeah, I've got several different um, series. Um, I started out writing for Chose Music Company, so I have a couple of series of books published through them. Um, the Destination Adventure series uh, is one where students get to kind of explore uh, different places around the world through music. Um, so that's a really fun one. Uh, and then for them, I also did a series called Preludes to Mastery. Um, which are preludes written in a variety of styles. So there's Baroque style pieces, classical style pieces, romantic and contemporary style pieces. Um, and those were just pieces I wrote to give my students a better understanding of how those style periods work. Mm -hmm. um, and those books also incorporate a wide variety of key signatures. So I was trying to introduce my students to keys with more mm -hmm. than you know one or two sharps or flats. Right. Um, and then with Piano Pronto Publishing, I've written uh, quite a few different series. Um, the Perfect Pattern series you mentioned is one that was also inspired by my students. Um, it's pattern-based pieces, so students can be playing something that they can learn really quickly. It's really good for students that maybe are not super strong readers, but are capable of playing a lot more difficult things mm -hmm. than they're able to read. Um, mm -hmm. So that series has um, books from the uh, elementary all the way up to the um, mid-intermediate level. Um, I've also done the Let's Quest series of video game inspired pieces, um, which was, I think, probably my favorite series to write because wow. I think the music is so fun and engaging for students and really gets students telling stories through the music. Mm. Um, and then my Rock On series has been very popular with Piano Pronto. Um, those are pieces that are original pieces in rock and pop styles. Can you elaborate on a second ago what you mean when you say uh, that with your Let's Quest series that the students tell stories through their music? Yes. So those are pieces that are inspired by video games. Um, and I love the video game genre because those pieces are written to kind of tell what's happening at, that, at each point in a video mm -hmm. game. And so you're mm -hmm. kind of in the character's shoes and you're you know, going on an adventure, you're seeing what the character sees. And that's what I tried to do in the Let's Quest series. So I tried to write really descriptive pieces that students could put themselves in a character as they played the piece and they could imagine mm -hmm. what was happening in the music. Um, so, and that's, I think, probably my favorite type of music to write. I love writing music that tells a story. Hmm. Interesting. 
Yeah, I've used that series once in my studio. I haven't used it as much as I've used Easy Piano Patterns, but with the one student that I did use the Let's Quest with, he absolutely loved it. He was a very big video game music fan himself, and we absolutely did what you're talking about of saying, okay, imagine you're this character. What do you think the level is like? And it's a great way to build creativity. Um, mm -hmm. I do want to talk in general about these series that you mentioned, and specifically about variety. So as you mentioned, many of your books cover specific styles. There's, uh, you didn't mention Cool Cats, but that emphasizes jazz. Uh, Ready to Rock is, of course, rock. There's Rhapsodies and Reveries, which is more lyrical. Uh, in my experience, sometimes when books attach themselves to styles, there can be a risk that the pieces can get cliche and start sounding the same. But I never feel that with your music. You're very thorough in your exploration of these styles. So for instance, in Rock On, there's all these songs in kind of all styles. And very, very rarely do you do that like steady power chord left hand stuff that you would expect a book like that to do. Um, similarly with Cool Cats, although it's jazz related, there's a lot of variety within it. And very rarely is it just up and down the blues scale. Um, so my question is, when you decide that you're going to write a book or even a piece that references a specific style, how do you find a way to be innovative within that style and avoid cliches? So does it come intuitively? Do you do research? Can you talk a little about that process? Yes, and I'm glad you noticed that because I really do try with my books to make all of the pieces as different as possible from one mm -hmm. another. Um, because I know as a teacher, when I buy a book for a student, if all of the pieces sound the same, you know, even if it's a great book, eventually we kind of get tired of it because all the right. pieces are too similar. Yeah. So I mm -hmm. really do work to make every piece different and I do a lot of research. So, mm -hmm. you know, matter what, whatever the genre is, I do a lot of research and I, I just kind of make a list of all the different styles I want to touch on. Um, mm -hmm. I also found, find it really helpful to kind of list out all the keys I want to use, you know, all the mm -hmm. technical concepts I want to be sure to introduce. Um, mm -hmm. And so I really just, kind of go through and plan it out and try to make sure that every piece is introducing something different and it's something fresh and exciting for the student. I like that I'm noticing so far in this interview that there's a lot of reference to trying to make sure that students are aware of different keys, both with the composition stuff, with the way you write your books. Um, and I think that's great to avoid what sometimes happens with students where they get very stuck in middle C position. Right. And also on this subject of, of doing research, I really appreciated that at the end of Cool Cats, you actually offer kind of a listening list of students who want to continue exploring the styles that you reference in that book. So it goes to this idea that you're saying of really doing your research and not just sort of knee-jerking to cliches. Yes. And you know, I, what I always hope from my books that is that a student will play a book and they'll think, wow, that was really fun. I want to find out more about this type of music. Yeah. And then they're mm -hmm. going to go out and listen to a lot of different mm -hmm. types of music um, mm -hmm. because they had the experience of learning those pieces in the book. So that's always my hope um, that students will kind of, it'll open the door to something else that they can continue to explore. Right. Uh, okay, also on uh, composition, I recently had um, Jennifer Eklund on the podcast, who I know you know, mm -hmm. and she said that for her, she felt that r actually writing the pieces themselves is about 5% of the process for her, and the remaining 95% is focused on the more publication and marketing aspects. Uh, in many cases, I believe you have other publishers publish your work, so I'm interested in that breakdown for you. So from the process of deciding you want to write a piece to having that piece in print ready for purchase, roughly what percent of, of that process consists of actually writing the piece and can you talk about what else you have to do besides actually writing the music yes you know I was actually listening to the podcast with oh, Jennifer okay. and I heard her say that and I was nodding my head <laughs> that's exactly right um, and you know it's one of those things too that as a composer I don't want to do all the other stuff you know the marketing and um, but it, it is a big part of it and um, so the initial writing process 
is usually what happens first. Um, another thing that, that takes a little time is I always record all of my pieces. So I want to make sure I have yes, I not, only, that. Yeah, not only a good audio recording, but a, a good video recording because mm-hmm. I want to demonstrate so that students can, you know, watch the video and see my hands on the piano keys and kind of see me do some of the technical things that they're going to encounter in the music. So getting good recordings and then it's, um, you know, making everything look pretty, making nice covers. Uh, and then comes the marketing part where you're actually trying to get other people to take a look at it, which can take a long time to get it, get new things out there and, and get teachers interested in taking a look at the music. So yeah, it's, I, I would agree definitely that the writing part is the smallest part. It's the most fun part, but, but there, it is the smallest part of the process. Mm-hmm. And I really like that you record videos of all of your pieces, um, not just because it's helpful pedagogically, but also I've found a lot with my own students when I show them these videos of you. It's great for them to be like, oh, that's the composer. And they, <laughs> it, it breaks down, I think, some of the stereotypes in their head of a composer being dead and, you know, gray hair to see someone who looks like someone they could see on the street in their house on YouTube. Uh, so I really like that you do that. Um, Yeah, thank you. uh, And related to the sort of marketing publishing world, on a lot of these piano teacher groups, I see a lot of teachers who post PDFs of pieces that they wrote in Finale or Sibelius. And um, I'm sure at least in theory, they'd be interested in taking their composing to the next level, as of course you have. Do you have any advice for people with a bit of compositional experience who want to be able to market their piano music more broadly and take it to the next level? Yes, um, I actually did a blog post about just kind of my experiences with music publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of, of outlets now as far as self-publishing goes. So, you know, it's a lot easier now than it used to be, you know, 20 or 30 years ago mm-hmm. when your only way of getting music out there was to hope that a publishing company would publish you. So yeah, so I would encourage, you know, if, if composition is something you're interested in, look into some of these outlets, um, you know, some of these self-publishing outlets. Um, and then also just try to be really active and network with other teachers, um, not just, you know, through Facebook groups, but also so through in person um, mm. when that becomes possible yeah, again. I was going to say. <laughs> but yeah, um, but, you know, I have a very active local piano teachers association that I'm a member of here in North Carolina. And the teachers in that group have been incredibly supportive and um, really, you know, helped to get the word out about my music and used it with their students. And so I think just making those connections with other teachers is really important because um, it, it's just a great way to grow and also get feedback on what you've written. Great advice. Thank you. Finally, I'd like to turn to your work as an arranger. Uh, Like your work in composition, you arrange pieces in a large variety of styles. Uh, So I want to talk first about your arrangement of classical pieces. On Sheet Music Plus, you've arranged many classical pieces for easy piano. And personally, I use simplified arrangements of classical pieces in my studio all the time, including in some cases yours. Um, However, I do know that there are some teachers who are a bit skeptical about this, the argument being that simplifying the piece kind of cheapens the value of the original and students should wait until they're musically ready to do something like that. Um, Again, that's not my perspective, but I know that some people do feel that way. Can you talk about the value that it brings brings children to introduce them to famous classical pieces at a younger age, even if it means not being able to play the real piece? Yes. You know, I think it's that arrangements can be so motivating for students. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, not every student is going to reach the point musically that they're capable of playing the original piece. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the average student probably takes lessons for 
what, three to five years? Yeah, and you wouldn't want a student in that situation to never get to play these famous pieces that they already know. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I feel like if it's something that the student can learn from, if it's something that's going to be exciting and engaging for them, um, then why not give them a a simplified version of a Mm -hmm. piece that they're really excited about? And, you know, a lot of times those classical pieces, the students are excited because they'll say, oh, this is my grandmother's favorite piece, or this is my dad's favorite piece. And so it's a way that they can play something that their their friends and their family are going to recognize. And it makes them feel like a real musician, you know? I'm playing Beethoven. And also in my experience, they can listen to the real piece. That can inspire them to want to learn more about the real piece. And so then they can go and listen to the real thing, which was inspired exactly. by playing the arrangement. So, And I've had many students who've done the simplified arrangements and then they've stuck with it and they've ended up doing the original piece. Mm-hmm. And isn't that a great milestone yes. to say, I remember doing the easy version of this and now mm-hmm. I'm playing the way it was originally written. Totally. I mean, I think that's so exciting for students. Absolutely. Um, now I'd like to turn to your arrangements of contemporary pieces, uh, including pop music. One challenge that I've found with using this in my studio is often the music is rhythmically above the students reading levels and so I've seen different arrangers deal with this differently there are some easy piano arrangements that just write out the real rhythm and I think they assume that the students will use their ear and prior familiarity with the song as a guide but in other arrangements the rhythms of the real song are simplified to make them more readable I believe in at least the pieces that I've seen the arrangements that I've seen of yours that you tend towards the latter approach at And so could you talk about your thoughts regarding the opposition between wanting children to play songs that they like, but also the reality that rhythmically sometimes these songs are very syncopated and above their reading level? Right. Yeah, it's tough because, um, you know, a lot of the pop songs that are syncopated, students haven't encountered those rhythms Mm -hmm. in their method books yet. So, and I've actually done both. I I do have um, some arrangements that I try to keep the rhythm close to the actual piece, What I find really helpful when I do those arrangements is I try to include the lyrics because I think if students can sing the lyrics, Mm -hmm. it helps them with with the rhythm. Yeah, that's always what I do. Yeah, Yeah. but I do have some that I have simplified the rhythm. I try not to simplify it too much because I think if it's, you know, if it's a piece that's really syncopated and then you write it out in quarter notes, the students know. Right. And they're like, this doesn't sound right. (laughs) But, you know, I do kind of carefully choose sometimes some rhythms to make a little easier um, if I think it's going to help make it more playable for the student. But but it's definitely a balance. Right. Um, and I do want to talk more generally about using contemporary and pop music in uh, your studios. There, in my opinion, talking to other piano teachers, there seems to be a mix of opinions on this. There are some who are strictly classical and they don't know enough about pop to be comfortable with using it. There are some, like me, and I believe you, who love doing it. And then there are some who are kind of ambivalent and then they maybe think that it's okay time to time for fun, but they don't see it as part of their core teaching. Uh, And in my opinion, I believe that using contemporary music is not just fun, but also pedagogically beneficial for these students. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about some of the advantages you found in using pop music in your studio beyond just the fact that it's fun? Yes. Yeah, you know, my personal teaching philosophy is the best piece of music for a student is the piece they will actually practice. Mm. Yes. (laughs) Because You know, it can be the most pedagogically sound piece, but if a student's not going to practice it, it's not going to do them any good. So I try to look for what can I do with this piece that's going to be valuable for the student. And, you know, I love pop music because it does teach students about rhythm, like you were just saying, Um, learning how to count syncopated rhythms, learning how to feel the beat. 
Um, I love teaching pop music because it's a great tool for teaching chord theory. You know, I get students analyzing mm. the chords, you know, spotting the chord progressions, um, analyzing form. You know, if they can listen to a pop piece and say, that's the intro, that's the verse, that's the chorus. Um, you know, all these are things we want them to do in classical music, but they can do them in pop music as right. well. Absolutely. So, yeah, so I think you can really find the pedagogical elements in any style of music. Uh, and it's a bonus if it's something your student's actually going to really enjoy and practice and be motivated by, too. Yeah, sold me. Um, finally, <laughs> although I, I tried to cover some of the different hats you wear as thoroughly as is feasible in a short interview, um, I'd love to instead throw this task on you. Can you give our listeners a sense of what you're up to now and how they can find out more about you? Sure, yeah. Well, I'm always working on new music and arrangements. Um, so I've got a couple of um, projects that I've been working on for Piano Pronto. I've had a lot of requests for a fourth volume of my Let's Quest series of video game inspired music. So that's on my to-do list for this year. Um, I'm also working on an easier volume of the Perfect Pattern series that's mm. going to be for beginning students. Oh, I will look forward to that. Yes, okay. so those are the two kind of collections that I'm hoping to knock out this year because I've been um, working kind of slowly piece by piece on those. Mm -hmm. um, and then I've been doing a lot of arranging for music notes and um, lots of video game pieces. Um, you know, I, I find that there's not a lot out there for students who are at the elementary through early intermediate levels for video game um, themes. And so that's a niche that I'm trying to fill with my arranging. Um, so I've been doing a lot of that. Um, and you can always find my um, newest releases uh, on my website, uh, chrissyricker.com. I also have a YouTube channel. If you subscribe to my YouTube channel, every time I release a video, um, you'll get notified of that and you can see my new releases as they become available. Well, Chrissy, thanks so much for everything you do. I love your books and resources and I use them in my studio all the time. So thanks so much for joining today. Thank you. It was great to be here. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to All Keyed Up Creative Conversations for today's piano teachers. I'll see you next time.